Welcome to the Preserving Family podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. We are so excited to be with you all today. We always are excited about the topics that we're going to tackle and especially excited about the one today. Before we get into it, though, we just want to thank you for listening. Thank you for your uh, nice and kind words that we hear on occasion. We love that and and uh, we hope that this podcast is something that's shareable that will benefit many people. Yes, we are really grateful, and for especially for the kind comments that we get in the in the encouragement and support, we are super grateful. <laughs> Can't have enough of that, right? Um, we are going to share a little announcement today. Mark actually is starting a second podcast, which don't ask me when we're going to fit all this in, but <laughs> but we have just. I guess we together, mostly him, has felt very inspired that he needs to start another podcast. And what it's called is Stand By My Servants. Mark teaches a class at BYU called um, Living Prophets, and they study over the course of the semester each of the Living Prophets, all 15 of them, their lives, their experiences, their teachings. And he just really feels like more people need to hear that message to gain a testimony of each of the individual prophets and apostles. And so that's that just launched. It's called Stand By My Servants. You can find it on stand standbymyservants.com or on Apple iTunes and anywhere where podcasts are found. <laughs> so if you think of anyone who would like to study the prophets and apostles, to learn more about them, to gain a testimony of the people that they are, this is a great place to go. I know. And I, you know, part of the, part of the, uh, thought process here is just there's just so many today that struggle I mean some of our most faithful uh, people that I know uh, have lost their way a little bit and some of it's been over some of the teachings and uh, some of the words of our church leaders and I think if you really came to know them and where their hearts are and the context of what they're teaching it would make a lot more sense and so anyway we're going to tackle that one See if we can uh, operate from uh, 3 to 5 in the morning to make that happen, and we'll get it done. (laughs) Who needs sleep? Sleep's overrated, right? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Now, our topic today is teaching our children the gospel of Jesus Christ, that parents are and should be the prime teachers. You know, Janie, this is something you and I have felt passionate about for a long, long time. I think our kids have had that uh, drilled in their head a little bit. Uh, But this topic comes from years of observation, just paying attention. Uh, Many people that we've talked to over time that are adults now have shared some of their concerns with us. An example is someone who said, my parents never taught me anything about the church or the gospel. It was their belief that that's the church's duty, right? The church's duty is to to teach. And uh, in fact, one woman actually took it so far as to say the church failed us because our children aren't active in the church and they don't know the gospel and as if that was the church's problem, right? Mm, yeah. We've been in classrooms where you're teaching youth and you ask them to turn to like, say, turn to Enos and they look at you and they're like, what what book is that in? Like they have no <laughs> idea. And again, that's a lack of teaching in the home. That's not the Sunday school teachers, the primary teachers, the young women leader, young men leaders 
job. Responsibility, yeah. Even seminary teacher. I mean, as, as wonderful as all those people are and as important as they are, they should be adding to what's going on in the home, not teaching from scratch. <laughs> right. And so, Janie, I think that's a key, though. That's the key, what you just said, and that's that the purpose of the church and the, and the gospel uh, structure is to support what we're teaching and doing in the home. Again, that home-centered. What does home-centered mean? That means we are the primary teachers. We are the we are the ones teaching. We're the ones responsible. We're the ones that the Lord has actually given and instructed to teach our children and grandchildren. Yeah, and now even more recently, we have a, a generation of missionaries that have come out and, and maybe even come home early. And one of the comments that I hear often is that, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that that's what we were going to be doing in the mission field. I didn't understand the rigors of a mission, but my thought is, is, isn't that something as parents that you want to be talking about and teaching from the time they're two of what a mission is going to be like and, and what they're going to be doing? Now, before we get too deep into this, let me just say something that I think needs to be said, and that's that we understand that just because parents teach something or, or teach a principle or a gospel doctrine, it doesn't mean that our children are going to accept it. We understand that agency is very real. Agency is very real, and it's mm. a God-given principle, and all we can do is offer, right? We put mm. it out, we try to teach, we try to bear testimony, we try to model it. We invite. We invite, but that doesn't always mean our children are going to accept it. And sometimes they have to test the waters a little. Sometimes they do test the boundaries, and I think we should, like plan on that. <laughs> well, I know, Janie, we've had conversations over time with our own children where I've thought, wow, that's so weird that they're doing that. We've we've taught them that. And you've said, yeah, but they've got to figure it out themselves. We, they, we just can't tell them everything. And they just go, okay, I'll just go do that. They're, right. They have to learn the hard way sometimes, right? And that, I mean, and that's why the Lord gave us agency. We learn sometimes the hard way. I mean, you and I have learned the hard way. <laughs> right. People can preach it all day long. Our parents modeled it. Our parents can bear testimony. But Sometimes we have to go experiment upon the word. That's what it is. And so not everything is just going to be absorbed and automatically received. Sometimes even it'll be full out rejected. But hopefully at some point they will come back around. And And I love the scripture in the Old Testament in Proverbs 22.6. that says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I think we really counted on that and relied on that scripture a lot as we were raising our children, I know. Yeah, for sure. So we understand that the church is full of people, full of grown, mature adults uh, who are no longer invested in the gospel uh, as they maybe as they were as children. And it wasn't because they weren't taught. Their children were faith. Their parents were faithful. Their parents taught them well. And like you said, Janie, maybe they've rejected it or they just don't don't care about it so much right now in their lives. But our belief is if we continue to teach and influence in a positive way that those children will come around, like you said. And I do think that's a great topic that we should circle back to uh, one day for sure. So just for a second, we want to reconnect with President Nelson's talk on the Mormon Youth Battalion. We feel that it's a talk that probably needs to be emphasized even more than it has been. But listen to what he said about our youth today. Now, this isn't about youth from 1960. This is youth today, right? Our Heavenly Father has reserved many of his most noble spirits, perhaps I might say his finest team, for this final phase. Those noble spirits, those finest players, those heroes are you. I love that President Nelson calls the youth today heroes. 
In another part of that talk, he said, my dear extraordinary youth, there's another great word, extraordinary. You were sent to earth at this precise time, the most crucial time in the history of the world to help gather Israel. And there's nothing happening on this earth right now that is more important than that. And so he goes on and talks about the gathering. But then he said this at the end of that message, my beloved young brothers and sisters, you are among the best the Lord has ever sent to this world. You have the capacity to be smarter and wiser and have more impact on the world than any previous generation. To me, that is, these are statements that are incredible to think about and ponder, especially as our youth struggle with identity and who they are. Here's a prophet telling them exactly who they are and who they can be. And that's what we're fighting against. Here's who they are. Here's the ideal. And yet the world is so crazy right now. That really reminds me of the famous quote we've all heard and we've probably all read in our sophomore English class from the Tale of Two Cities, but it says, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Mm. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief, it was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. Mm. It was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. And this statement, I think, really captures what it's like to be raising our youth today in this world yeah yeah. in this crazy like sin sick world it's a toxic world and we have some of the greatest strongest most incredible youth that the lord is sending in these final days but they are coming to a really really hard world (laughs) and they're masked a little bit i don't know if they understand who they are i just feel that that they they've been it's been almost veiled i mean they just aren't catching a glimpse of their identity yeah, and, and the sin is so pervasive, and they're being exposed to so much evilness and darkness that our previous generations didn't have, mm. that it's, it's really scary. We as parents have a huge responsibility to, I mean, that's our main responsibility, to if we bring these children into the world, that we have to teach them the light versus darkness. We have to teach them truth. We have to teach them morals and values. all the values that they are not going to get in this world. Yeah. And I know we've t- we've talked about how important it is for our youth that the key lies in the prevention, not the redemption. It's way easier to teach them while they're young and teach them principles instead of dealing with it when they're adults and having to come back and repent and change and Right. and and so I think that we as parents and not again, they have their agency and they're all going to make choices, but I feel like that we have to teach them while they're young. Um, And that comes through teaching the gospel in our homes, teaching the scriptures. Remember Alma's declaration, he said, as the preaching of the word had a great tendency to lead the people to do that which was just, yea, it had the more powerful effect upon the minds of the people than the sword or anything else. That's in Alma 31.5. I love that verse as well. Yeah, just the, the power of the word is real, right? It really is. It's, that's power. I mean, it literally is power. Yeah. So here's, uh, you know, like you said, Janie, the world that we live in is is pretty tough, right? And Satan is really waging a war on the youth. He preys on the weak. He preys on the young. President Monson said a few years ago that the adversary is using every means possible to ensnare us in his web of, of deceit. Just think of the technology and the sophistication of Satan today. It's incredible to ponder how he has crept into our lives now, years ago, 
President Marion G. Romney said this. He was a member of the First Presidency, but this is when he was a, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. I just find this fascinating because this statement was given in General Conference, I think, in 1969. And yet it's so relevant, even more relevant now. Satan, our enemy, is making an all-out assault upon righteousness. And his well-marshaled forces are legion. Our children and our youth are the targets of his main thrust. And that's what we're talking about right now. He's trying to take, just wipe out a generation of youth. They are everywhere subjected to wicked and vicious propaganda. Now, 1969, okay, I can see that. But think about how much more of that there is today. It's incredible, the, the volume. Every place they turn, he said, they are buffeted with evil, cunning devised to deceive and to destroy every sacred thing and every righteous principle. And if our children are to be sufficiently strengthened to stand against the satanic onslaught, they must be taught and trained in the home as the Lord has directed. There's the answer right there. I mean, that's President Romney is hitting it hard. So our church leaders have taught us over and over that if we are casual in how we raise our children or what we teach them or how we influence them, they could become Christian casualties, as Elder Holland called it. Mm, (laughs) And I think we're seeing that worldwide. You know, we must be intentional, deliberate, and purposeful in our teaching because we know that Christianity and religion in general, all religions are really declining in every nation of the world. yeah. And in a recent general conference talk, Elder Neil L. Anderson explained, there are many on earth who know very little of Jesus Christ. And in some parts of the world where his name has been proclaimed for centuries, faith in Jesus Christ is diminishing. The valiant saints in Europe have seen belief decline in their countries through the decades. And sadly, here in the United States, it's also receding. A recent study revealed here that in the last 10 years, 30 million people in the United States have stepped away from believing in the divinity of Jesus Christ. Looking worldwide, another study predicts that in the decades ahead, more than twice as many will leave Christianity as embrace it. Wow. That's really terrifying. Trending after some of the European nations now, you know, with just not... The worldliness, the godliness, the... Secularism and... Yeah. So, so enter now Generation Z for a minute. So let's talk about this group. The, the iPhone generation is what some have called it. But this is the group, if you have children or grandchildren who fit in this category, born between 1995 and 2012. And so one of the great characteristics of this group is not only their technology skills, but they are now less religious. This cohort is less religious than any cohort in previous American history. In fact, Generation Z has been categorized as the first post-Christian generation, where now, listen closely, the percentage of teens who identify as atheist doubles that of the general population. In other words, the the general population, 6% are atheists, but among teens today, 13% are atheists. Many, Many from Generation Z are growing up in homes where religion just isn't isn't taught or emphasized at all. And by the way, it's it's an incredible shift in our nation's history when the entire basis for founding this nation, and I've read some of those history books, those those people came over on those boats, got here to America, and the very first thing they did was establish churches and taught the gospel out of the scriptures. And now here we are where we are today. More than... Uh, 
In the 1980s, more than 90% of high school seniors identified with some religious denomination. In fact, during that time, only 10% chose none, N-O-N-E, as their religious affiliation. But now, over 31% of high school seniors identify as a nun, N-O-N-E. By the way, this is being quoted from Gene Twinge's book that you've heard us refer to often, iGen, what today's super-connected kids are growing up, how they're growing up, less rebellious, more tolerant, less happy, and completely unprepared for adulthood. Now, unfortunately, these trends, when we talk about societal trends, they also trickle into the church. In a landmark Pew Research Center study on the religious landscape of America, 64% of adult Latter-day Saints still identify with their childhood faith, but what that implies is that 36% of those who were Latter-day Saints in their youth no longer affiliate with their religion. 36%, think of it. In fact, if we looked at LDS retention rates of those born before the silent generation, before 1943, 75% are still affiliated with their faith. However, of those born in the millennial generation, those born between 1980 and 94, only 46% still affiliate with their LDS religious faith, their childhood faith. Now, if only 46% of millennials identify with their childhood faith, Think of Generation Z, a generation that's been labeled as not religious. Think of what their attention rates will be in a few years. We don't have the data on that. But Elder Holland even talked about it. He talked about Generation Z. And by the way, a great talk to look up. You can Google this. Angels and Astonishment. And we share that with you because it was a talk given to seminary and institute personnel. So often those talks are not broadcast uh, you know, to the general public, but if you just Googled angels and astonishment, Elder Holland, that will pull that up. Here's what he said. The gap between our faithful young people and the sometimes agnostic world around them is at least, as an overall generalization, widening in every passing day. And that is, of course, a given in the prophecies of the latter days, but it doesn't make it more pleasant to address nor any more fun to face. Fun to face what? The idea that we're losing our we're losing our youth. That reminds me of the Elder Holland quote where he said, as a simple reminder, that the church was only one generation away from extinction. And all we would have to do, he said, I assume, to destroy this work is to stop teaching our children for one generation. Just everybody stop. Close your book, seal up your heart, keep your mouth shut, and don't bear a testimony. And in one generation it would be eighteen twenty all over again. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Yeah. Just, just, but also the powerful link to how crucial it is to teaching and passing on these values and beliefs and doctrines and principles to the next generation. We stop doing that. Wow. And by the way, many have. I mean, that's the sad part of this is there are those that have stopped teaching their children. Elder Holland also goes on to say, if loving inspired instruction and example are not provided at home, then our related efforts for success in and around church programs are severely limited. It is increasingly clear that we must teach the gospel in our families personally, live those teachings in our home, or run the risk of discovering too late that a primary teacher or priesthood advisor or seminary instructor could not do for our children what we would not do for them. This next uh data point that we want to share is we know very sensitive to many people and we want to be careful but we need to consider all of us as parents that when we give our children full access to the internet full access to cell phones that they're being exposed and 
influenced by people that we would probably never want them to even associate with in, in real life. So I'm going to share with you some data. And once again, where, where you land on this, this is up to you. We're just I'm just sharing data. I'm just sharing numbers here. But I'm involved in a research study at BYU um, called the Family, Faith, and Foundations Study. It's a longitudinal study where we follow youth from the age of 13, LDS youth, 13 until in their, you know, in their early 20s. And the idea, once again, is faith develop, development is what we're looking at. But in 2016, from that study, 7% of Utah Latter-day Saint youth agreed or strongly agreed that the church should fully accept same-sex marriage. Four years later, so remember, it's longitudinal. So those same exact youth. 7%. Yeah, those same 7% now agreed or strongly agreed that the church should fully accept same-sex marriage 26% four years later. So 7%. In 2016, 26% of the same youth in 2020 agreed or strongly agreed that the church should accept same-sex marriage. Now, once again, whether you agree with that or not, that's up to you. But listen to this next data. When youth were 12 to 14 years of age, if they felt that same-sex marriage should be accepted, four years later, 26% were less likely to want to serve a mission and 42% were less likely to say that they were planning to marry in the temple. What is our point? Our point is that there are many casualties and, and, and so much influence, worldly influence, that you'll find on the internet, on social media, <clears throat> and that some of us, some parents who let their foot off the gas, so to speak, in terms of monitoring and teaching their children, may find that their children are being influenced in a strong way by the world. Especially, I think, when it comes to their identity. Right. Who they are, who they're, what their purpose of life is, what they're meant to be, why they were sent here. Yeah, if you Googled uh, gender identity today, uh, you know, I think Google's reporting 63 genders, you know. Uh, that wasn't like that, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, right? I mean, once again, just the influence of the Internet. During COVID, so many of our youth spent so much time online that they became very confused of who they were. They were on these websites that were teaching them things that their parents would have never taught them in terms of their identity. And so once again, just even more important to share of how, how vital it is and how crucial for us as parents to be teaching our children in the home and teaching them about their identity and who they are. I mean, that's a great place to start. And we don't, that doesn't start when they're 12 or 13 or 14 or 15. That starts when they're one, two, three. Right. <laughs> we, I know we had all of our grandchildren here the past month, and we talked about that a lot. We talked about the importance of what it is to be a boy, the importance mm. of what it is to be a, a girl, and how Heavenly Father made us that way, that He has a plan for us. And we, we talk about this openly and honestly in our family because... We have to counteract the messages that the world is sending, the messages that Satan is sending, the confusion, the darkness, the mists of darkness that he is just thrusting upon our youth and our children today. Yeah, totally. Now, one last thought here, but just if you if you weren't even religious, if you were just academic, you would be have to pay attention to the studies, the research studies that have been done over and over in the last few years, showing us that first, that the strongest marriages in our country, the happiest marriages in our country, 
are usually people that are religious and they share in their religious faith. The strongest families are families that are religious. In fact, research shows that youth who are religious or at least attend church, they have better mental health, higher levels of self-esteem, healthier psychological functioning, lower levels of depression. They have more resiliency. They deal with stress better. They have less conflict with parents, greater happiness, higher levels of academic achievement, and they engage in less risky or delinquent behaviors. Not only is religion good for adults, it's great for children and for youth. And so there are many reasons why we hope that our youth are going to build their lives on the rock, to build their uh, lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ. There are great benefits to that, even just from an academic standpoint. Elder A. Theodore Tuttle once asked, how would you pass the test, parents, if your family was isolated from the church, which we kind of were during COVID, right? <laughs> right. And you had to supply all religious training. Have you become so dependent on others that you would do little or nothing at home? Tell me, how much of the gospel would your children know if all they knew were what you had taught them and they had been taught in the home? Ponder that. I repeat, how much of the gospel would your children know if all they knew is what they had been taught at home? Mm. The Elder Tuttle's question, I think, is a little haunting. and a little. I think we all need to take a moment <laughs> and ponder that. How much would our children know if all they had been taught came from us, their parents? Right. You know, would they know about Jesus Christ and his life and his teachings? Would they know the scriptures? Would they know about Joseph Smith and the restoration. Would they know why we had a restoration? <laughs> right. Know, why we had to have the restoration? Would they know, you know, about prophets and apostles' teachings? I mean, all, would they know basic values? Would they know basic teachings of the gospel? Would they know the family proclamation? Would they know the living Christ, the Book of Mormon stories? And so yeah. I think that's a really hard question that we as parents really, really need to consider. And as grandparents also. Well, I don't have any problem telling whoever's listening today that I'm kind of jacked up. I think you would agree with that, right, honey? A little bit. <laughs> kind of a wacko. Which way are you referring to? <laughs> yeah. Or which time. But I just remember when our kids were in high school, and if they came home and we were having a gospel discussion and they were talking about something, and I became aware that, wait, we've, we've never really talked about that or we haven't taught them that, I kind of felt bad. Like, I've, I actually felt bad that they were learning that somewhere else and that we hadn't taught them that. And I know that... Parents can't do everything and thank goodness for a church that supports and backs up, you know, what we're doing in the home. It fills the holes. <laughs> right, right. But at the same time, I, I want it to be that person. I want it to be that parent where they learned it first from us, you know, so to speak. Now, the Lord is really serious on this matter of gospel teaching in the home. In fact, <clears throat> we have a great revelation of Doctrine and Covenants in section 93, what some may, we may not be aware of, maybe you are, but it's a revelation to the first presidency of the church. In, the, in verse 40, I have commanded you to bring up your children in light and in truth. Now, several verses later, Joseph Smith, Sidney Rigdon, and Frederick G. Williams, and Newell K. Whitney, who was the first bishop of the church, were basically called to repentance for not teaching their children the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, in verse 42, the Lord said that you have not taught your children light and truth according to the commandments. And that wicked one hath power as yet over you, and this is the cause of your affliction. Now, once again, if the first presidency can get rebuked for not teaching their children light and truth, then I think all of us probably could be rebuked in, in some way. And, and maybe, I don't know, Janie, what some of the reasons would be of why a first presidency wouldn't be teaching the gospel in the home, but 
I could see very easily that these men were really busy <laughs> and probably focused on a lot of other things, well, right? And, and they were running for their lives at certain <clears throat> points and right and hiding out and yeah, they were really busy. But the most important, you know, duty that we have, regardless of what our callings are in the church or responsibilities, is to teach our children, you know, in the home and. I've told the story before, and I don't know if I've ever shared it on the podcast, but I remember uh, the day that, you know, when I was called to my current calling in, the, in our stake presidency and, and knowing that that was going to happen because all those events of being called happened on Saturday and now it was Sunday morning. And I remember getting out of the shower and, and seeing the towel hanging uh, on the rack and it's, you know, the monogram towel that says dad. <laughs> And I just had this incredible thought that, oh my gosh, that's still your first duty. Your first duty is to be a dad. Your first duty is to be a grandfather. And be careful because you may get sucked into how busy this calling could be and neglect your family. Don't, don't go there. You know, I just remember that, that strong feeling that morning. That reminds me of um, Linda K. Reeves several, several years ago in General Conference, kind of talked about the same thing, how they were just mm. so overwhelmed at the time with four young children and didn't know how to do everything that they Balance were it all. Yeah, yeah. being asked to do. And she said, as we face the challenges of parenting and keeping up with the demands of life, we were desperate for help. We prayed and pleaded to know what to do. The answer that came was clear. It is okay if the house is a mess and the children are still in their pajamas and some responsibilities are left undone. The only things that really need to be accomplished in the home are daily scripture study and prayer and weekly family home evening. Mm. Cool, so huh? True. She said, we were trying to do those things, but they were not always the priority. And amidst the chaos, we were sometimes, and they were sometimes neglected. We changed our focus and we tried not to worry about the less important things. Our focus became to talk, to rejoice, preach, and testify of Christ. By striving to da daily pray and study the scriptures and have family home evening. A friend recently cautioned, when you ask the sisters to read the scriptures and pray more, it stresses them out. They already feel like they have too much to do. And she says, brothers and sisters, because I know from my own experience and those of my husband, I must testify of the blessings of daily scripture study and prayer and weekly family home evening. These are the very practices that help take stress away. They give direction to our lives and add protection to our homes. Then, if pornography or other challenges strike our families, we can petition the Lord for help and expect great guidance from the Spirit, knowing that we have done what our Heavenly Father has asked us to do. Oh, amen. I thought that was so profound, that we need to make the, our priorities actual priorities and not let them get in the way of things that are less important. Not, not let those other things get in the way. Yeah. And that's so easy to do. I mean, like you and I have talked for a long time about Satan's greatest tool, and we believe it's distraction. I yes, mean, it's definitely distraction. You know, we talked about the, the influence of the Internet and the influence of society on our youth today. I love something that President Irene said years ago, that a wise parent would never miss a chance to gather children together to learn the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Such moments are so rare in comparison with the efforts of the enemy. For every hour the power of the doctrine is introduced in a child's life, there may be hundreds of hours of messages and images denying or ignoring those saving truths. You just think of the thousands of messages our children encounter every day that are anti-family, anti-gospel, anti-Christ. 
And they're everywhere and they're surrounded by those. And so all the more reason why parents, as parents, we should be taking every opportunity we can to share the gospel message, to teach it, to be great influences on our children, because what they're hearing, you know, all day long is actually really scary. And just a plug for grandparents. I think, you know, every time we're with our grandchildren, they need to know, they need to hear our stories. They need to hear our testimonies. They need to hear our experiences with the scriptures, with um, with the Savior. With, I think with, our children, yeah. our grandchildren should never doubt that their grandparents knew it, that they mm-hmm. had a testimony of the Savior, Jesus Christ, and of the gospel. And so little, little stories or little things or little stories they tell us, we can say, oh, yes, well, Jesus was there to help you through that, right? And I mean, I just think there's so many opportunities that we can take in little conversations and daily acts with our grandchildren to... Yeah, when you're having... I, I know that you recently had a conversation with a granddaughter with some anxiety and, and you brought the gospel in and just helped her understand how the, how Christ is there for her. Yeah. And those are great. But she can always pray if she's feeling scared or afraid wherever she is and... We as grandparents, I feel, are sometimes we get caught up in just trying to entertain them, to have fun with them, to take them to Disneyland and do all these fun things. But most importantly is we need to share the gospel with them as right. grandparents. Right. I, I love that Elder Holland said once that regarding parents that our faith should never be difficult to detect. And maybe one of the greatest compliments our children gave to us was recently when one said, we always knew that our parents were all in the gospel. There was never any question that they were all in. Okay, if that's what they remember about us, I'll take that. <laughs> A huge compliment. Yeah. And I know going back to being a parent, I remember looking back on those years where I sometimes felt that I spent way more hours preparing lessons for young women or primary lessons than I did preparing lessons for my own children for a family home evening. Oh, yeah. and, and I would question that all the time is why am I putting all this effort into other people's children when my own children, you know, need to be taught and I need to be, that's, that should be my priority. I remember when I was on the high council, I would take almost an entire Saturday afternoon preparing a talk. And by the way, if any high councilmen are listening, don't do that because you, By the time you get up there to give your talk, there's like two minutes left. But (laughs) I think I'd spend four hours getting ready for that talk. But when it came time for Family Home Evening Monday night, we were kind of making up on the fly sometimes. Yeah, let me whip something up here really quick. And I remember we talked about this a lot because it was, yeah. It was reversed. (laughs) Maybe how it should be, right? Our priorities were reversed. In other words, when was the last time that I took four hours to prepare a lesson for my own kids or grandkids. Yeah, and using handouts and treats like we do for, <laughs> for young women lessons. Um, in closing, I, I love the story of Alma the Younger for many reasons, but I think one of the main things with, with the story of Alma the Younger is when he was in the darkest abyss of sin, it wasn't the words of his seminary teacher or young men's president or neighbor or bishop or friend that it came to his mind. It was the teachings of his father. And when Enos's soul hungered, it wasn't the teachings of a young men's president or anyone else. It was the teachings of his father. And I love in both of those stories, how they remembered, even though they might've been teenagers or children and had rejected it at that time, or, you know, hadn't listened or it hadn't sunk in, but when they really needed it, that's when they thought of the teachings of their father. And I think that is such an incredible example of the power that we as parents have to instill gospel teachings and things into our children. 
Yeah, and we can even say the teachings of their parents, right? Their mothers and fathers, we know were so, you know, we could say the stripling warriors when it came right down to it. It wasn't the teachings of their primary or scout leaders, and you know, we could say, but it was what they learned from their moms. The teachings of their mothers, exactly. And I think that is such a, a great example right from the scriptures of why we as parents have to be engaged. We have to be teaching constantly. We have to be the voice that they hear in their head, not the voices of social media or the world, because that's what they're ultimately going to remember when they are in their darkest abyss. Right. The teachings from us about the Savior, Jesus Christ. At least we hope they remember those, right? So, You know, Janie, that reminds me of a study the church did a few years ago. And Elder Hales, Elder Robert E. Hales, talked about it in general conference. He said that at the most important transitions of life, including those periods when youth are most likely to drift away from the church, the greatest influence does not come from an interview with the bishop or some other leader but from the regular, warm, friendly, caring interaction with parents. Parents make a huge difference. There's no question about that. More so than other other leaders and teachers in the church. And even sometimes parents, we don't feel like it, right? We feel like our kids don't listen to us or we don't have the best relationship or they seem aloof or whatever. But studies show that they really do love their parents and are influenced by what their parents say. And, and, really, are, and are secretly listening. They are. They are listening. <laughs> when it may not look like they are, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, this episode was more of kind of laying a foundation, talking about some doctrines and principles regarding teaching our children. In our second episode, so there'll be, there'll be a part two for this next week, we're going to focus on the idea of, okay, more of the nuts and bolts of teaching and what that looks like. Right. I love that we just talked about responsibility of parents. And in our LDS today, let's do something. Our invitation is to ponder back on that question we talked about a few minutes ago about if the only things that your children learned about the gospel and about the Savior Jesus Christ was what you taught them, what would that look like in your home? Or how would that look like manifest in your children? So our invitation today is to really ponder that question. And maybe you'll get some inspiration on maybe what you need to do better to how to improve improve or what to do next what the next step is yeah yeah well until next time we hope you have a great wonderful week and we'll see you then and if you feel like somebody could benefit from this podcast please forward it on to them and if you have time this week check out mark's new podcast stand by my servant you won't be disappointed (laughs) all right honey the pressure's on (laughs) have a great week see you then